three. Not appointed for that. Solutions. God's solutions to man's problems. Because man's got a lot of problems. And men, and when I say men, I mean mankind, we tend to try to always find our solutions for our problems. When God has laid out how to figure out, um, if you will, his solutions to the issues that mankind has, in my opinion, mostly has created for ourselves. And we're, we're going into a time in this nation and in this world where there's so much compromise. Um, I was reading an article this week, and I, I, I'm not sure if you've read about this or seen this, and um, I, quite frankly, when I saw it, I, I cried. Um, and I think this is an old thing, so it tells you how much I pay attention to the news, but I read an article where there's a case going on in Texas where a mom is trying to change the gender of her eight-year-old boy with a surgery, and the little boy doesn't even know if he wants it, not that a little boy knows anything of that caliber, and the judge ruled in favor of the mom, and the father doesn't even want it to happen, and I just thought to myself, what a day we're in, that people think that this is a norm, that the culture thinks that this is a cultural thing that we should embrace, and the church has forgotten that the culture that we should look like, the culture that we should live in, should not be a culture based off of where we came from or what we represent from an earthly means, but the culture that we should live in and abide by should be a culture that comes from heaven above, a kingdom culture, a culture that surpasses whether you're white, black, from the 40s or from the 2000s, whether you're Asian, whether you're Indian, whatever you are, we are to be unified in a new culture, unified in a culture that is heavenly, to go above all of our cultures. We talked about that last week in the message called Set Apart Living, living a life in a kingdom culture apart from the world, a full gospel of not just salvation, but that we are saved for something, to bring about a new culture on this earth so that people would see this new culture of really it's a restored culture of heaven on earth. Our home was never meant to be apart from the earth. And many people have grown up in the church thinking, I can't wait to get home to heaven. Heaven is not your home. Heaven on earth is your home. The Bible even says that he is going to restore that. He is going to put a new Jerusalem back on a restored earth and put us back in a new restored body so that we can inhabit the earth that we were created for. And heaven is a great place, and we're all going there, but that is not your eternity. Your eternity is we go to heaven, and once the earth is restored, he takes us out and puts us back on the earth, which we were created for. This is our home and when we start understanding what this is, there will be a greater passion and a fire to steward where God has placed us to reign. Is, is y'all okay? I know that's hard for a lot of people to grasp, but that is the truth of the scripture. And Paul in Romans, again, he is trying to talk to the Romans who have the most superior culture in the world to date, 
and saying, we have got to make sure that we are embracing a totally different culture than what you're used to. So I want to start off tonight with the last text we read last week, setting us up for today. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 17. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. A great reminder, faith is only the beginning of a life in Christ. And the same attitude of faith in Jesus that you have when you came to meet him, that same attitude of I believe in him for my salvation should be the same attitude that must govern you throughout your life as a son or daughter of the living God. We love to say that we trust who he is, but when it comes to trusting in his way, every Christian finds a reason as to why law no longer matters. What if law no longer dealt with your eternity, but it did deal with a new culture? Because we love to talk about how I don't have to go by the law because Jesus saved me from having to, to get everything right. But what if I told you that the law was now a way for you to walk in a new culture? That when people see you walk in a new culture, they'll know that that new culture you represent comes from no other than the God that they see is those are his ways. Because the kingdom culture says, honor the mother and father that you don't think deserves honor. The kingdom culture says, forgive those who you don't think deserve forgiveness. The kingdom culture says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse those who persecute you. The kingdom culture says, I am God, let me avenge you. Don't try to take revenge for yourself. Right? It's a different culture. It's a different way. And we love to have the faith in the one who saves us. But faith, belief, trust, we don't really enjoy trusting in, let me take on this new way of living. We want to trust in, well, this is where I came from. This is what I know. This is what's natural. Well, your natural is what needs to be redeemed. Your natural is why you in the place you at. Your natural is why Jesus says, let me come down from my supernatural place and redeem what mankind has messed up in the natural and show you a way that is not natural. Because your natural is that you are born into a natural, a natured posture of sin. Your natural is to do things apart from God. So he says, would you trust in my ways that they will lead you out of your natural into a supernatural heaven on earth? Right? So in Galatians, it says this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. That's kind of funny because we actually have seen the picture of his death on the cross and we're worse off than they were. He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you not receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because what? You believe the message you heard about Christ. 
How foolish can you be that after starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? He said, obeying the law didn't get you redeemed to carry the Spirit. But now that you trusted in the one who gave you the Spirit, why are you still trying to make up your own ways to get it? I did not come to abolish the law, Jesus says. I've come to what? Fulfill the law. The law does not make you a temple of God. But now that you have seen and met and heard about the one who does make you a temple, why do you try to govern yourself by your own laws, though I have created a picture of what my laws are? Right? Because your laws look like go to church every Sunday and Jesus says, well, I worked on the Sabbath and the priest kicked me out. Right? But your law is, let me make sure I go on church on Sundays and find a good kids program and find a good worship place and let me get all the check marks to make sure that I have a good church home. And Jesus says, you are governing your life by your own law. I want you to grow in me into full maturity. I've given gifts to the church to do this. Why are you attached to people who don't even walk in the gifts I've given to build? They're building places by their own ideals, by their own law. You've seen me. Why don't you walk in what I've shown you? I've shown you that you can heal. I've shown you, I've given you the power to cast out demons. And yet, all you do is look at demon casting out as entertainment value. And my church in America has become a place where speaking of demons has become a faux pas issue, if you will, and no Christian knows how to do it. But your own law says as long as you're involved in a small group and you go to church on Sunday... You're good to go because your life is governed well. Well, that's your own law. And that's exactly what's happened in the church. We've created our own checkmark system called religion. And if we don't like that, we use the typical phrase of God led me to start a new church. And it has its own checkmarks of religion. And that's why we have over 5,000 denominations in the United States because no one wanted to see the picture that God showed. We don't like the fact that the Lord said, honor these feasts, so we bring in pagan traditions. We don't like the fact that the Lord says, serve one another, so we created the superstar pastor that no one gets a phone number for. When Jesus, who's the biggest superstar, said, could you just come eat at my table? Right? But this is what we've done. Now, after this, he's talking about I made you right through faith, and through faith, you need to be trusting in what I've shown you. He's about to go into part of the theology that is a little hard to understand. And a lot of people like to make their own law about it and govern their own thinking about it. And I didn't really realize it until today after I read it over, but I think a lot of this idea is why people have a debate over do we have free will or do we not. 
Let me just give you a spoiler alert. We do. And this idea, people don't like the idea of what this means for you and for the people. So we create our own theology to make God look less mean. So let's get into verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from where? Heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We love to object to the idea of the wrath of God. And many times we object to it because we think of God's wrath in the terms of human anger. Human anger is is often motivated, and I would say mostly motivated, by a selfish personal reason or desire for revenge. Now there is a righteous anger, which is essentially the wrath of God, but then there's the anger that most of us walk in. We get mad about something, so we try to figure out how to respond because of our anger, right? We get angry, and we, we, we have a selfish reason for being angry. We have a desire to get revenge based off what was done to us. The wrath of God is not based off of our idea of a human anger. The wrath of God is righteous in character because the wrath of God is for righteous character. He says, my anger, the anger of God, the wrath of God from heaven is against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The New King James specifically says, against ungodliness, unrighteous acts, and the people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He says, but my anger is for everything that is not of me. God's wrath is simply this. His character, and his, when his character and his holiness is in contradiction with anything else. And he says, I will do anything I need to do in order to get rid of the world of anything that is not of my character. Because when I created the world, there was nothing that merited to meet my wrath. Because it was good. Every day he created this. It was good. Day two, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. He created a man, and then he was like, well, man needs a counterpart. And then he created that, and then he said it was good. Everything was, he was well pleased. Nothing needed wrath. Because nothing existed that needed to show his wrath. There was one thing on the earth that his wrath was already displayed to, and that was who? Satan and his fallen angels called demons. That wrath had already been given to, the, to Satan and his demons, uh, demons. Demons. Where? From heaven. Because they rebelled in heaven and his wrath was poured out in such a moment that in the scriptures it says they, that, that the Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. But the earth had not experienced that wrath yet. 
So Satan starts walking around and starts to have conversations because Satan couldn't do anything yet. Because Satan did not have the authority over the earth. He fell out of heaven in an instant because of wrath. What was wrath? I ain't having that up in here. Up in here, up in here. God said, y'all going to make me lose my mind. So, so he fell. Bam. And Satan couldn't do a thing. He couldn't do nothing with the rivers. Couldn't do nothing with the vegetation. He couldn't do nothing with the weather. He couldn't do anything. So he went to the one thing that had the complete authority that did do all things because it had complete governmental authority. And that was mankind. And he said, hey, that's a snake. I heard God said, don't eat from this tree. It won't do nothing to you. Right? And they bought a lie. And let me just clear up some theological stuff. It was not the woman's fault. Let me tell you why. Eve ate the fruit. They didn't know they were naked till Adam did. Because... Eve did not come from the ground. Eve came from Adam. The one who had complete authority was Adam, so he had every ability to say, not up in here. But he came into agreement with his counterpart, and then it happened, okay? Just to get it clear. So sin entered the world, and then everything started messing up. They had children, and Cain killed Abel. And then when Cain was banished, the first thing he did was create a city. And now everyone's divided by territory, states, and countries. And that's how the church operates. Well, I'm going to go after my city. I don't want to just go after my city. Can I talk to you for a second? I don't want to just go after Savannah. I want to empower you because you've got areas of influence in places that I have no idea about. You've got areas of influence in Savannah. You've got influence in South Carolina. You've got influences in Effingham. You've got influences in Bullock County. You've got influences in Richmond Hill. You've got influences at Zunzi's. You've got influences at Gulfstream. I don't say let's just go after a city because I'm not going to speak going after something that was created by the first act of a murderous man. Mankind has embraced, let's embrace divide. Okay. Think about it. Okay? Jesus came down and started talking about, no, 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 there ain't no Greek nor Jew. We got to stop all this divide between culture stuff. Heaven on earth. One church. One, one, one. 
but let me create a strong divide between truth and what's not because my one cannot have any unrighteousness in it. And if it starts to get that way, you will see my wrath. Does all right? God's wrath says, I cannot allow anything unrighteous be a part of the creation that I created to be completely right. That's why at the end he says, I'm going to restore everything that I first created because y'all done this. Right? His wrath is against all ungodly things and all unrighteous things and all who suppress the idea that there is no unrighteous thing because that in itself is blasphemy toward God. And we are in a day where many, many people are not just walking in unrighteousness, but they're trying to do what? Suppress it. And God says, I ain't going to have none of that. His wrath is not revealed in himself. It is only revealed in the fallen nature of humans because wrath was never needed to be revealed until the fall. Is this clear? The word suppress means to hold down. Mankind loves to hold down the truth of God because when the truth is revealed to man, we fight against it, we disregard it, and eventually it becomes very, very blurred. And when it becomes blurred and we don't start to see what is righteousness and what is right, we start to make up our own ideas because we cannot clearly see. That's why... When he talks to Paul, it was a matter of vision because you cannot see clearly, right? That's why Paul had to get blind before he could start to see because his lens was so blurry because he had to make up his own idea. Most people, when they walk in their own truth, it's because they, they have become so blurred to truth that they don't know what truth is. And God says, my wrath will be revealed toward the acts of anything that tries to hold down my truth and anything that I do not want to be mixed in with what I have created to be perfect. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God on your eternity is I can't have unrighteousness in perfection. So it's not that I don't want you with me in eternity. It's you have walked in such a way where I cannot allow it because you have put a demand on my wrath to be revealed. And my wrath is that I cannot let unrighteousness mix with Righteousness. Right? It's not, let me create this idea of heaven and hell so I can make people go through a hundred years of hell on earth just so I can feel better about who I am as God so you can make some salvation decisions on Sunday morning. 
It's mankind has fallen, and let me tell you why. The reason you need to believe in me, let me tell you why. I can't allow it. My very nature is that my wrath will not allow your unrighteousness to be paired with me. Okay? Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. His wrath is very real. And although you are not destined for wrath, wrath is most certainly a consequence of you willfully not walking in what you are destined for. We willfully walk out of what we're destined for. And when you willfully walk out of what you are destined for, a display of his wrath has, it's, we are putting a demand on it. This is where free will talk gets in. People love to blame God so that they get out of a personal accountability. Well, that was just God's plan. Right? Why did that child die in a car wreck? I don't know. God had a plan. How many of y'all heard that? Right? I have conversations at the coffee shop all the time and people try to challenge my theology. And every, every time they do it, I'm thinking, good Lord. And I hear it all. I, I literally asked one one day, what do you, are you telling me that there's no free will? And they said, yeah, I don't believe in free will. And this is actually a guy that I, I grew up in church with. And I looked at him and I said, so let me, let me just get this straight. A man who messes with a child he said, well, that was God's will, so that they could build a testimony. But when you embrace a theology of there is no free will, you're putting all the blame on there was a plan. Right? You willfully walk out of what you're appointed to, and the point of wrath is to show you what you are not appointed for. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 says this, For God did not appoint us, what is the message called? Not appointed for that. God did not appoint us to wrath. In other words, the point of your creation was never to experience my wrath. It was never to experience an idea that you had to go to hell. It was never to experience any pain. It was never to experience the consequences of you willfully walking out of my garden. It was never, my, you were never appointed to walk and experience my wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You were never appointed to experience wrath. He always had an appointment for you to dwell with him and walk with him so that you can obtain your original appointment through Jesus. But what happens in life 
is that we willfully walk out of our appointment. And the only way for you to understand that you're walking out of your divine appointment is for you to experience a wrath that you were never appointed for. Here we go. And wrath is revealed against all, all unrighteous and ungodly acts of people who suppress truth. Verse 19. They, people, know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Woo! All people, everybody, everybody knows the truth about God because God made it obvious. That's why people knew about God before we got this book. Can I get even more offensive to you? This ain't the word of God. Jesus is the word and this is the test, true testimony to the word. Everything in here is truth. Don't, don't you hear me wrong. Don't you be quoting me. Don't, don't misquote me. This is the truth. And it will set you free. And every, we, should test it, we should test everything we hear by lining it up with the truth in the scripture. But this is not the word. The word became flesh, and this is the testament to the word becoming flesh. Okay? And people, I, I heard someone tell me this week, Jesus don't reveal himself to people today. It was from a 30-year-old. You know why? Because we put more faith in this than the word. Let's get out of all religious stuff if you're going to be a part of this house. Right? This is true. This is good. I'm in this every day. But this is not, don't worship this. Okay? This is a testimony to the one we worship. Why is it called the Holy Bible? It's a set-apart truth. Okay? He says, everybody knows the truth. Well, how? How is that possible that everyone knows the truth? How is it possible to know the truth without a Bible? It happened. How is that possible? Look at Romans verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. No one can dispute that. You can't identify the skies. Anything else in 2021? You can't call it the ground. It's the sky. Amen? Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so people have no excuse for not Knowing God. No excuse. Through his creation, he has given a revelation obvious of a creator. In order for something to exist, it has to be created by something. 
So in creating all of this, there is an obvious, duh, truth that there was a divine creator that created. Now, you would think that'd be simple, but in 2021, we believe it just happened. Well, not we, but you know, you know what I mean, people. He says, look at what you live in. It's an obvious revelation that I'm real. I gave you the biggest duh for my existence. Why is that important? No one can accuse God of hiding himself from them to excuse their immorality. No one can, no one can accuse God of him hiding himself from them because, so that, because of their rejection of him. Therefore, all of his wrath, whether they heard about the word or not, is just. You need to know that. Because people ask, well, what about so-and-so who never heard the word, but they die, are they destined for hell? Yes. Why? They have no excuse for not knowing God. But do you know how much this scripture has been twisted to make excuse? And then we created a place called purgatory to make the excuse. Or let me, let me, let me give it to you in, in, a, in a different means. Maybe there was a purgatory, but we think that Jesus didn't break the chains of it. Because remember, Jesus went three days somewhere to pay a debt of sin, and someone went with him, and then they all rose up. What if there was a holding place that people define as a purgatory, but the chains of that got broke, and now we had direct access? So no matter what theology you want to throw at me, no excuse. We have a way to be with him. Does it make sense? Okay. In other words, the problem with man is not that they don't know God. It's that man does know God, but we suppress the truth no matter how much he reveals himself. And God's wrath or his anger pours out on that because they're walking into an unappointed destiny he never wanted for them. Hence the free will talk. You reap what you sow. It's not God's will that you walk into a situation that is not in his appointed will for you. But his wrath says, if you are walking in all of this unrighteousness, then a part of the character of my wrath is I'm going to let you walk right out of your appointment. So even though I have predestined steps for you, even though, and we'll get into it in a few weeks, there is a step-by-step -step predestined plan, which is the path of righteousness. Y'all hearing? You can willfully, free willfully, 
walk out of that path of righteousness and walk in unrighteous acts and unrighteous ways, and my wrath is that I'll let you do it. What if free will is twofold a blessing and a wrath? Because it's a blessing that we get to choose to love a father who loved us first, but it's also a chance for you to put a demand on wrath that you were not appointed for. Is this making sense? This, this blew my mind when I started getting digging into this thing. Next time someone asks you, do you believe in free will? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. That's a good father. Think about what, what great fathers do, great mothers do. When a kid disobeys, all right, you do your own thing. See how much you don't need me. And they put a demand on your goodness or they put a demand on your wrath. And they realize how easy it is with the mom or, fa or, or, or father or they see how hard it is. My wrath will be poured out from heaven because I cannot be married to a bride that is walking in unrighteous things. Is it? Okay. So he says, there's no excuse. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Foolish ideas like, you ain't got free will. Foolish ideas like, you can worship how you want to. Foolish ideas like, you can live your life according to your own plan. Well, you can, but you put a demand on his wrath. Think about it. A God who gave specific instructions to build temples and boats down to the paint color in the Bible. And we think we can do whatever we want, however we, we want to do it because of free will. Well, you do have free will. But it took, puts a demand on an appointed righteousness or an unappointed wrath. This is good stuff. Ugh. As a result, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Dazed and confused. 22. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. See, the people would not worship him as God or give him thanks or give him glory. So they began to think up their own ideas of his attributes and the minds of what they thought of because they thought up their own idea, they became dark. They became blurry. 
they became twisted. And many people try to make foolish ideas of what they think God is like and create theologies of his attributes instead of seeing the obvious ones displayed in all of creation. Like God can create the universe, but he can't heal a disease. Literally, a conversation last week. I don't believe that healings are for today. And I thought to myself, I don't want to worship your God. I said, well, I worship Jesus. Well, I don't know the Jesus you know. A God who can create the process of birthing but can't save the soul, and you call it atheist or you call it agnostic? Like a God who can't create millions of animals and he, he, he can create the dimensions of the ark that saved Noah and his family. He can create every, I mean, have you seen the, the makings of a cell? But he can't give you a vision or a plan for your home. Can I talk about vision for a second? It's not just for churches and CEOs. If the home would understand what it means to write the vision down and make it plain, you would set up success for next generations instead of just making it by for your generation. Do you work to support you or do you have a vision for the generations that are your offspring? Write the vision down and make it plain. It ain't just a business thing. Get that in how you raise people. Right? The same for the church. It's not how to grow a church. It's how do we create generational legacy. A vision is how do, the, how, how do we equip the beautiful white hair and great hair people to mature the not gray and white hair people so that they can be ready to do it and the next generation will be ready to do it so that by the time that those 10-year-olds get to 30, we're not teaching them what I'm teaching now. They're being sent. They understand. God is that specific to where he will give us exactly what we need. But in our theologies and our ideas, we make God so small. He says, you've created your own foolish ways of thinking when I'm revealing myself in all creation. I, you need water to live and look at how I created the earth. Even the earth depends on it. And you are separating yourselves by cities and tributaries so much that you're cutting off your own water supply and you're wondering why you're not thriving. Right? The people are struggling and people think the solution to churches is let's start more instead of throwing away the foolish idea of false theology and coming up under the truth. That's the day we're in. 
We have got to start comparing our idea of God to the reality of God is revealed in his word and the very world he created. But what's happened is what happened in verse 23. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, instead of worshiping the obvious creator, you worship the things the obvious creator created. Don't get me started on the bunny. You're worshiping everything I made. You worship kings. You think about the money talk. You worship the gold I made, but don't worship the one who provided the gold for you. You worship everything I made, and it's good stuff. But where it has become a problem is you're worshiping the created instead of the creator. That's also the problem in the church. You're worshiping the, not this one, but a lot of churches worship the position, and I can prove it to you. I need prayer. Call the pastor. You are a temple of the living God who can speak to God directly. Why do you need to call your pastor? But what we created is job security for a man who doesn't, is not secure in his relationship with the Father. If, if, you need, if you need prayer, just call me. I'll pray for you. Instead of, let me teach you how to pray. Right? I'm here for you instead of saying, let me introduce you to the creator who is always there with you in every step and is walking with you. Let me show you how to access the dimensions of heaven wherever you are instead of, I'm spiritually exhausted. I've got to get a word. I've got to get in church this weekend and get recharged. That's the culture we've created. And can I just tell you something? There is no possible way to be spiritually exhausted. Because if your spirit is redeemed and lives eternally, it cannot die. Your soul gets exhausted. Because you depend on your emotion and your mind and your will instead of the leading of the spirit. There is no, if you hear, I've heard pastors say that, I'm spiritually exhausted. Oh, you ain't depending on my spirit. You depend on your soul. Spiritual burnout, right? No. My spirit can't get burned out. But when I start to depend on my mind, my will, and my emotions, my flesh, myself, that's, that's, that's when we start to get the things wrong. He says, you are not worshiping the creator. And we cannot change the glory of who God is into an image of our choosing. And when we do that, he says, that merits my wrath. And sometimes the image of our choosing looks like God's a God of peace and we should just accept everyone and everything because God is peaceful. Well, no, if his wrath is poured out on the unrighteous acts and suppressors of it, why are we trying to make peace and unify with the thing that God wants to pour his wrath out on to reveal that they're not walking in right places? But the church says, well, if we would just be peaceful with them, they'll see the love of God. 
No, no, no. They'll see God by a revelation of his wrath. And when they see wrath, and wrath ain't just fire and floods. Sometimes wrath is just your life is self-destructing. Because the wrath of God means I'm allowing you to walk into your self-destruction. When they see that wrath, they'll start to look. And if the church is doing the right thing, they'll go, what is that light? It's like a city on a hill. And I'm tired of experience this wrath. And I want to experience that, that heavenly sound of praise. But instead, the church has turned into, join us on Easter weekend. We would love to have you and meet you. We, we have, we, we've got it wrong. If we would just focus on seeking the presence of God together, I assure you, his wrath is pouring out in such a way where they, they are looking. And he has given the church the gift of evangelism to meet them when they start to look for it. And sometimes it's you're in a street and you hear the word of God say, go to that person because you don't know the wrath they've experienced, so they're set up for the meeting. Right? I'll repeat it, I think. What happens is, I don't even know what I said. That's the Holy Spirit falling. Lord, just tell me. So, we have the gift of evangelism for the church. And the Lord says, I've given you the gift of evangelism sometimes to go out to the streets to meet someone and you don't know that the reason you're meeting them is because they have been positioned for the meeting because they have been experiencing wrath. Right? Second Corinthians 6, 14-18. Don't team up. Don't team up. With those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? His wrath. It can't exist. How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. But this temple allows idols in all the time. God said, I will live in them, walk among them. I will be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. I'll welcome you, and I will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is New Testament. Separate yourselves. Come out from among them. You are not appointed for the wrath that is poured out among the unrighteousness that is in among their acts and among the truth they're suppressing. So why are you walking among it? 
be separated so that when they experience wrath, they'll see a place to run toward. A place of refuge. Let them see you through the lens as a lover of God to pull them into you rather than mingling in their practice and their righteousness so that you can be relevant to who they are or so that they can see that you're real. I just, I just want them to know I'm real. Your real is the issue with mankind. There's no distinction between lovers of God and lovers of unrighteousness. In the world, not of the world. And when we make up our own idea of God, we make up idols and get mixed in these ideas of a false God. When we start to live in our own ways and in our own ideals, watch what happens in verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. You know what his wrath looks like sometimes? Abandonment. You, 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 you did this, so you're going to walk in it. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created and said of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. We always think of wrath as all these external things. I've said it a minute ago, fires and floods and destructions. But part of wrath is allowing you to experience a self-destructive result of your own sin. That was, but hear me, because we got to get this theology right. That was not God's will for you to experience that sin. God did not plan out for you to go through substance abuse and abuse from your parents. God did not plan out for you to experience jail time. God did not plan for you to experience a life of total uh, uh, separation from him. He didn't plan any, you were never appointed for that. You willfully walked out of righteous things and his wrath said, since you made these choices, you will experience that. You did that, not me. That's the truth. And it will set you free when you start to understand this because when you start to experience this why am I not experiencing this peace in my life? Why am I experiencing this confusion? Why am I not experiencing a place where God is pouring out his blessing? Maybe it's because you're experiencing wrath. If you ever feel like you're separated from God, he didn't appoint you for that. He appointed you for a day-by-day walking relationship, sitting at the table with you, walking with you, every single moment being with him. He created you to be a temple to host his presence. The moment you feel separated, you should think, why do I feel apart? I've read things about this, and I'm not preaching this as necessarily what's right or not, but it's, it's... it's, it's got a valid thing to it. We always think of heaven and hell as up here, down hill. Uh, up, up here, down here. Heaven's above, hell is below. But if you re- read Revelation, it says heaven and Hades are separated by a river. What if hell, eternally apart from God, is being able to be an arm's length of touching, but you'll never be able to experience in heaven? That's called hell on earth. 
Yeah. Hmm. Hosea 4, 16 through 17. Israel's stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. Y'all don't use that now when y'all walk out of here. Should the Lord feed her like a lamb in a lust pasture? Leave her alone. She's married to idolatry. It's the wrath of God. I'm treading on thin ice by saying this. But you show me a struggling church. Because we're not appointed for a struggle. We're appointed for suffering. For the cause of him. But if I look at how the church was, it says... They went without need in the midst of their suffering. Why would he allow us to experience wrath? Because he loves us so much to remind us of how good he is and how far from that goodness we are. Wrath is not eternal, you're done. It is one day. But wrath even now if you will, is even a sign of you're not walking in your appointment. Remember, Paul's writing Romans from Corinth. Corinth was, you know, we always read 1 Corinthians and talking about all the, the gifts and such, but you know what the thing about Corinth was? They were full of sexual immorality and ritualistic acts pre freely practiced to worship other gods. And, and Paul, he's writing about this, and he starts to use the example of Corinth in verse 26. He says, look at this. That's why God abandoned them, the, the church, the people, mm, to their shameful desires. He says, he's talking about the church in Corinth. He says, the people in Corinth, I've abandoned the people there. He's talking to the church. I've abandoned the people to their own shameful desires. Even the women turn against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. The next time someone gives me that crap about how the Bible, when it says homosexuality, it meant a different Hebraic term, go to Romans chapter 1, verse 26. There ain't no terminology here. Verse 27, and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, normal sexual relations with women. You can't not mix up or identify that word differently Burn with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this what? Sin. They suffered with themselves the penalty they deserved. Well, what was the penalty they deserved? Sometimes it's, it's the wrath of God. I feel alone. I have identity issues. I feel incomplete. And no matter what the sin is, whether it be a sin of men with men and women with men, women or a sin of gossip or a sin of whatever, many times you, a sin of I will not forgive, you start to endure the penalty of what you deserve because the only result of walking out of righteousness is a wrath for unrighteous things. 
Paul was writing this letter to a culture. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Are you all awake? Are you all bored? Okay. Listen, listen to this. Because this, this, is, this is going to bring some light into what we're experiencing today. Paul was writing this letter to a culture in ancient Rome where for 200 years the men who, were, who ruled the Roman Empire practiced homosexuality with young boys. It was a cultural norm. Get this now, because you know i got to do some research to give you the facts. The Roman Empire even had taxed-approved homosexual prostitution with young boys. Government-approved. And they even made prostitution with young boys for the men a legal holiday. It gets better. Legal marriage between same genders was recognized and some emperors even married each other. Y'all ever heard of the emperor named Nero? Y'all remember how I talked about earlier about the Texas case with the little eight-year-old boy and the mom trying to get his identity changed with a surgery? Listen to this. The, that, that's right. Listen to this. The Nero, the emperor of Rome, when Paul wrote these letters, took a boy named Sporus, had him castrated, married him, and called him his wife. Do y'all really think that these are new concepts in America? And y'all are saying, wow to this, but if you go and research half the holidays you celebrate, we're celebrated on the exact same days in the Roman Empire, but to God's. And you're more offended at the gender stuff, but you're not offended at the fact that half of us have been worshiping other gods without even knowing it. And that's why I am not afraid to go there. Because I care about, I have, a shepherd has given his life for the sheep. I care about the sheep way too much for us to keep going in paths of unrighteousness because you are not appointed for wrath. And sometimes we get wrath that we're not appointed for and we can't figure out, where did that come from? Well, let's shed some light to it for Lord's sakes. That's why he's given this. Church people are stupid these days. Not y'all, though. I'm just, Lord, forgive me. The more you go against it, don't be surprised when you get the penalty you deserve. Not because God wants it, but because he won't have any part of it. Verse 28, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never be done. That foolish thinking, it came from another word. In your King James Version, if you read it, it actually says debased. That means that they did not stand the test. It was a term used for coins, that the coins were below the standard. The idea is that when man does not approve of God, they're being tested in their ways, and they fall below the standard. 
and their standard that they fall below in is their thinking. So your rebellion is not just in your acts. The rebellion is in the way you think. In other words, you're spiritually insane. Because the way you think is you'd rather walk into wrath than walk into blessing and righteousness. When you embrace your own way, the wrath of God allows you to experience things he never wanted for you and that you were never appointed for. I thank God for his wrath. That I can see clearly when I'm not walking in his ways. Verse 29, their lives became full. This is the result. They became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. That's America. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless, and they have no mercy. You ever know? Do you know anyone that has any of those character traits? He says, that's all because... They walk in their own set of thinking and they've got no excuse because I've revealed myself clearly through the very creation they live in. You're not appointed for that. You're not appointed for sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception and malicious behavior and gossip. You're not appointed to be a backstabber or haters of God or insolent and proud and boastful. You're not appointed for sinning and disobeying your parents. You're not appointed for that. Galatians 5 talks about it in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. That's just how I am. No, that's a result of your unrighteousness. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why won't they? Because wrath will not, his wrath cannot, his character will not mix with righteousness. His wrath has to be poured out on that. He says, I can't have any part of it. But you know what you are appointed for? The next verse. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against such things. He says, when you experience that, my wrath cannot be poured out because there's no law against it. My, my wrath, literally, you cannot experience wrath when you're living in that. You can't. There's no law against it. That's what it means. I want to live in a life where, like, I can't get the wrath. So God, show me all, all of your ways. Not because it's measuring up to being right with you. But it's so I can walk in paths that are right with you. So I don't walk in paths that are unright with you. Because when I walk in unrighteous paths, I'm willfully walking out of my predestined steps. I'm willfully walking out of your plan for your life. And I'm willfully, insanely walking into wrath. I just want to walk in the presence of my Father and his love and in his goodness. 
verse 32, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. When you walk in ways not appointed to you for the, in the idea of unrighteousness and ungodliness, death occurs. That's why the Lord had to give us Jesus. Because the only thing that could occur from a life without God in our lives was death. But in the same respect, if you do believe in Jesus, death can occur in other places that you were never appointed for. Like your family. Right? Like relationships. Like your calling. You, you, you claim you know Jesus, but you start to walk in these ways that are so unrighteous that you never see the calling on your life come alive in Christ. That's our vision, right? The word Christ means anointing. You never see you come alive in what you're anointed to do because you walk in unrighteous ways. This isn't about am I, am I right with God? If you believe that he is who he is, he says, I've made you right. But that's the beginning of a life. Not to get, jail, not to get out of jail free card. You were never appointed for wrath. So stop walking in pathways of wrath. And I'll close with this because I just thought it was so good I had to read the, mostly the whole thing. Paths of righteousness. Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 27. My child, listen to me and do as I say. And you'll have a long, good life. How many of you want to have a long, good life? I'll teach you wisdom ways. I'll lead you in straight paths. When you walk, you won't be held back. How many of you don't want to be held back? When you run, you won't stumble. Take hold of my instructions. Do not let them go. Guard them. They're the key to life. Don't do as the wicked do. Don't follow a path of evildoers. Don't even think about it. Do not go that way. Turn away and keep moving. Evil people can't sleep until they've done their evil deed for the day. They can't rest until they've caused someone to stumble. They eat the fruit of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines even brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they even stumbling over. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. What if the key to healing was to simply get out of wrath? Guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Why has God given us all these ways that we just simply put as law, yet we know he has saved us from law? Because law is not about your eternity. It's about your path. 
It's about to keep you straight. It's about walking in a narrow way. It's about, Lord, show me a kingdom culture so that I'll never have to experience your wrath. You're not appointed for that. God has appointed you for great things, to do great things, and to lead people into the knowledge of who he is. You're not appointed for wrath. So church, separate yourself from unrighteousness. Amen.